Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Do you know the next part? Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> uh, my name is Becca Anderson, and Pastor Dave invited me to share how I feel God's love through what we read this week, and I'm going to share out of Lamentations. Now, I want you to imagine your worst nightmare coming true. The worst thing that could possibly happen to you is happening. And you call your best friend for some support, some love, and your best friend sings you that song over the phone. Would you feel comforted or would you feel enraged? (laughs) Um, I would wish for the old-fashioned phones that you can slam down into the cradle to hang up on them. (laughs) Um... Tradition says that Jeremiah wrote Lamentations as the city of Jerusalem is being destroyed, which is the worst nightmare for the people of Israel. Jerusalem was the capital city of their land, and their land is this physical embodiment of a promise that God made to them years and years before through Abraham establishing the Hebrew people and promising that he will be their God in this land of Israel. So with the destruction of Jerusalem, they're wondering what happened to God's promise. And Jerusalem is also where the temple of God was located. That's where God resided on earth. And the temple was destroyed. So where did God go? Jeremiah records his emotions in this passage. He says, All our enemies have spoken out against us. We are filled with fear, for we are trapped, devastated, and ruined. Tears stream from my eyes because of the destruction of my people. My tears flow endlessly. They will not stop until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. My heart is breaking over the fate of all the women of Jerusalem. My enemies, whom I have never harmed, hunted me down like a bird. They threw me into a pit and dropped stones on me. The water rose over my head and I cried out, This is the end! Can you hear his anguish and his sorrow and his turmoil in those words? He cries out to God, and God does not sing, don't worry, be happy to him. Jeremiah says, but I called on your name, Lord, from deep within the pit. You heard me when I cried. Listen to my pleading. Hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called, and you told me, do not fear. God knows that when the worst happens, when we get that unexpected result from a medical test or a bill we aren't sure how we're going to pay or a phone call with bad news that changes our life forever, God knows our first instinct is to be afraid and to wonder what is going on and feel terrified. And he tells us, do not fear. Jesus used these same words with a man named Jairus in the Gospels. Jairus comes to Jesus and says, My daughter is sick. Will you please come heal her? So Jesus starts walking with Jairus. They get interrupted, and then some people come from Jairus' house and say, Your daughter is dead. Like, Stop wasting Jesus' time. She's gone. And this is my favorite part of the whole Bible. Um, I, in my imagination, Jesus grabs Jairus, one hand on each side of his face, looks him in the eye, and says, Do not fear only believe. Jesus knows Jairus's worst nightmare is coming true. He knows Jairus is terrified, and he says, do not fear, only believe. And then Jesus keeps walking with Jairus to Jairus's house. He walks with Jairus in his sorrow, in his fear, in his turmoil, so that Jairus can still believe, 
believe in Jesus' love, in his faithfulness, in his goodness. God does the same thing for Jeremiah and the Hebrew people. After God tells Jeremiah, do not fear, Jeremiah says, Lord, you have come to my defense. You have redeemed my life. Now, Jerusalem hasn't been rebuilt yet. It would be decades before that happens. And the nation of Israel would never be established the way it was. So everything's not all better. But Jeremiah can feel God's presence in the midst of all of this chaos. And he cannot fear and believe. This is how I feel God's love in, from Lamentations. And I think this is how we can show God's love to other people. That when a friend or coworker or somebody we know gets terrible news and is suddenly thrown into their worst nightmare, we can be with them. We can just join them in their sorrow. We don't need to sing, don't worry, be happy. We don't need to tell them, count it all joy, or God works all things for good. Yes, those are true, but when you first get that terrible news, those words feel as empty as don't worry, be happy. So I invite us to share each other's grief because grief is what makes us human. A rabbi that I follow on Twitter shared this quote from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. He says, what is the image of a person? A person is a being whose anguish may reach the heart of God. We can know our suffering is not seen because our emotions, all of them, good or bad, reach the heart of God. And God tells us, do not fear. So I pray that if you are walking through a nightmare right now, that you feel the presence of God walking with you. And I pray that there are people coming around you to be that presence and to share your grief. And if you aren't walking through a nightmare, I invite you to join someone else and be the presence of God for them. Wow, that was incredible. Thank you. I'm done. <laughs> Thank you so much, Becca. Oh, that, was, that just blessed my heart. Um, so in this series called Love Expressed, we are uh, learning how God expresses his love to us and through us through the poetic writings in Scripture. And I would love to know what God is showing you through this reading if you're following along with us. I'd also love to know any questions that you have as you're reading. And so in your online sermon notes, there's a little um, button there that says, Talk to me. I would love for you to share with me your questions, your comments as we go through this series, and I'd love to be able to get back with you and answer any questions you might have. I also want to mention to you this morning, um, you know, all the notes each week are on, available online, but we also have paper copies available uh, at the, uh, in the breezeway. So if you ever want one, feel free to grab those from the ushers as you come in on any given morning. Now, this week, we're going to be reading through not just a portion of the Psalms, but also we're going to be reading through the book of the Song of Solomon. Now, this is, one, and this is the, the part I want to talk with you about this morning from the Song of Solomon. This book... Song of Solomon is a collection of love songs that was written back in the ancient Near East times, around 980 B.C. or so, during King Solomon's reign. It shows this courtship of a young couple and a series of conversations that they have with each other as well as with the people who are around them. And it speaks to the beauty of human love as well as the, the beauty of the human body, if you read this, this book before. Now, many scholars would say that this is an allegory that kind of shows Christ's love for the church. And they will kind of point to different places in there to kind of show that. But this is an eight-chapter book. And 
we're going to look at just one little part of it in chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to the very beginning of that book, Song of Solomon 1, or again, just go to your online sermon notes this morning. What we're going to see today is that God expresses His love to us and through us in all kinds of relationships, not just intimate relationships. Get this, around our imperfections. So look at Song of Solomon, chapter 1, starting in verse 5, and see if you can pick up on this. How right they are to adore you. And then the young woman says, I am dark but beautiful, a woman, O women of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. I guess that's pretty dark. I don't know. Don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards. So I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. Tell me, my love. Where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? And then the young man responds, If you don't know, O most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. How lovely are your cheeks. Your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck, enhanced by a string of jewels. We will make for you earrings of gold and beads of silver. Now, this is, as I said, this is a conversation between a young woman and a man that she is desperately falling in love with. And she does what most people, many of us do in moments where we're meeting someone new or meeting someone that we're trying to impress, which is what? Any idea? She gets self-conscious, right? She notices all of her little imperfections. She sees all these other women falling after this guy in verse 4. And the first thing that she thinks about is all of her hang-ups, all of her imperfections, all of her insecurities. She points out how dark she is, and she is so self-conscious about that. Now, let me just put a little bit of context for you. It's like, well, what's the big deal? She's she got dark skin. I mean, I've go to the tanning bed all the time and get dark skin, you might be thinking, right? I mean, what's the big deal about that? Well, back in the ancient Near East, it was very different. Women weren't seen as attractive if they had dark skin. They were seen as attractive if they didn't. The whiter, the, the fairer that they were back in those days, that meant that they hadn't been subjected to manual labor and uh, they were seen as more attractive. And so she sees this guy that she's falling in love with and the first thing she thinks about is, oh, I am so ugly. I am, I'm so dark-skinned, and there's nothing I can do about it. Now, he's staring at her because she's so good-looking. But in that moment, she's all caught up in her own imperfections and her own insecurities. And I have to be honest with you. We have to be honest with ourselves. We're really no different, are we? When we're trying to impress someone, whether it's the big wig who's coming in from corporate or the person that we're interviewing in front of or that person we're trying to get into a dating relationship with or anyone that we're trying to impress, we think about in those moments all of our imperfections, whether anyone else actually notices them or not. We notice that's our skin complexion. We get all self-conscious about that zit on our face or that mole on our neck, right? We're worried about how we're carrying a little bit of extra weight and how the, trying to find a way to 
hide that, you know, right? We're, we're thinking about our personality quirks. If you're an extrovert, you're thinking about, gosh, Lord, please don't help me talk too much again and just take over the conversation. Or if you're an introvert, you're thinking, God, please give me enough words to say why I don't look stupid and, and stuck up in front of everyone. I mean, we all have these things that we're thinking of in those moments that create these barriers. We all have imperfections. Every single one of us does. Now, you may be looking at me and saying, yeah, but David, you're the perfect human specimen. <laughs> right? That's what you were thinking, right? You know, I, have, I don't know why it is. I can grow hair out of the top of my nose, but I can't grow it out of the top of my head. Or I got growing, I'm now growing on my back. I'm like, what is it with guys when they get older and they just, their hair follicles just completely forget where they're supposed to be growing? Right? I mean, I, I see that in myself all the time. I'm constantly picking these no, hairs off the top of my nose. I get conscientious about the scoliosis in my back that my, I, my got from my grandfather. And I'm constantly trying to stand up straight and not lean over. I've never been coordinated and be able to play sports. That's never been a, a gift of mine, and that's always been a frustration of mine. I have an accent, which you probably have never noticed, but it's there. And, and I hear it now that I've been living in Arizona for so long, and it irritates me, and I wish I could get rid of it. I'm an introvert with ADD, so standing up here in the mornings is just really intimidating, let me just tell you. No one gets off without imperfections. None of us do. Sometimes we see those in other people, but we definitely always see them in ourselves, right? And they bring these feelings of inadequacy, of not being good enough. It's so easy to get hung up on them, and just one little personal comment that someone can say can just totally ruin your day, right? If it's about that thing that bothers us. Our imperfections, our insecurities have a way bigger impact on our lives than we want to admit, don't they? Now, hopefully, I haven't made you all self-conscious this morning. I mean, I'm you know, like oh, checking your breath or whatever, you know, making sure your clothes aren't wrinkled. My shirt is a little wrinkled this morning. Um, hopefully, I'm not got, I haven't gotten you all self-conscious about yourself. My point is, is that I want us to see this morning how these imperfections, these things that we get hung up on about ourselves can actually be ways, if we're paying attention, ways that we can love well the other people who are around us. Let me ask you this morning, how often are we conscientious about how others struggle with their imperfections or the insecurities that they carry? Those messages that they hear which tell them they're not attractive, they're not intelligent, they're not good enough. Do you know how the people that you love tend to struggle, the, the messages that they hear? How about, the, how about the people that you don't like? The people who annoy you? You know who I'm talking about? You don't have to say their names out loud or anything, but I know you're thinking about them. We notice things in others that annoy us or that frustrate us, those things that are off-putting or offensive and how they affect us. But how do you, often do you think about how they struggle? with those things and more importantly how do you tend to treat them whether they're a co-worker or someone at the church or your neighbor or heaven forbid your spouse right are you always understanding accepting loving or do those things tend to bug you 
to irritate you, to, to frustrate you? Might you treat those people who are on your mind right now a little bit differently? Maybe loving them a little bit less, even though that's not your intent. As we consider people's imperfections, think about this. See if you would agree with me. The love that you show a person is often a reflection of how you see them. The love you show a person is often a reflection of how you see them, how you judge them, how you evaluate them. If you see someone as annoying, as unacceptable, as not good enough in some way, you tend to show a little less love to them than you do others around them. And you can fake it a little while. You can, you can kind of get by, but not for long. Sooner or later, that person will realize the distance that you show toward them or the attitude that you have toward them, whether you try to conceal it or not. So the love or the acceptance that a person feels from you is a reflection of the way deep down that you see them. To really love someone, we have to be able to get past their imperfections. When we're dating someone in a dating relationship, we sometimes think those imperfections are attractive, right? And then we get married to them and all of a sudden they become really annoying and we make it our quest to somehow change those things. In our partners, I, maybe you don't have that issue. Okay, that's, that's wonderful. To, but to, to accept or to value them as they are, not as you think they should be, that is to love someone through their imperfections. And real love isn't limited by a person's imperfections. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of a disclaimer here. As I'm talking about loving people through their imperfections, I'm not talking about issues of hurtful behavior or sin that's going on in a person's life. I'm not talking about situations where people are showing, uh, where people are acting inappropriately or not showing love, have a lack of love to other people. Those things need to be lovingly confronted and challenged and changed. But what I'm talking about here are all those other things, right? Those Things that people do or don't do that unintentionally just bother you, right? Or upset you. Their, their personality, the, the way they look, the, the way they relate to people. The things that actually might make them insecure about themselves. Real love isn't limited by a person's imperfections. Now, there's a couple of things I'd love to just quickly share, share with you this morning during this message. Just a couple. The first one that we see from this text is this. And that is that these imperfections in our lives, they have the, the real ability to fuel shame and, in, and basically, in, basically, I would say, sensitivity in our lives. They can cause us to make excuses for ourselves and even blame other people. I mean, did you notice what she was doing in this, in this passage we looked at this morning? She was all hung up on her skin tone. She couldn't get past it. And she felt the need in that moment as she's sit, standing in front of this guy to basically tear down her brothers, how awful, how mean they were because they made her work in the vineyards, right? And she's making all these excuses and saying, I haven't been able to tend to my own vineyard, my own body, because I've had to work in my family's vineyard. Now, we don't know why this is the case. We don't know if her brothers were just really mean people or not. Maybe what, maybe what we're seeing here in the fact that no dad is mentioned in, this, in her life is the fact that maybe her dad's dead and her brothers have kind of taken over the family business. 
Maybe also what's happening here is that they're from a poorer family and it's basically all hands on deck. Everyone's got to work to be able to pull in the harvest when harvest time comes. And she's kind of frustrated by that. But she says here in this passage to this man that she's in love with, don't stare at me. Don't notice all these things about me that make me so uncomfortable. Don't stare at my skin. I haven't taken care of my own vineyard. Do you hear the shame in her voice as she says those things? Do you see it? Let me ask you to think about your own imperfections for just a moment. I'm going to dig those up again. When you think they are showing or they're noticeable to others, how do you tend to feel? How do you, how do you tend to act? Do you feel self-conscious? Do you feel embarrassed? Do you try to hide them? Do you try to make excuses? Do you beat yourself up? Are you frustrated with them? Are you disappointed with yourself? You know, Proverbs 19, I actually had never seen this scripture before until we started going through this series. But Proverbs 19, there's a verse there that talks about how a person with sense loves themselves. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't say they're in love with themselves. They're not navel gazers. But I think it kind of makes me think back on the passage where Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. If you can't love yourself, then you certainly can't love others as God wants you to. If you struggle with being your own worst critic, with beating yourself up over your own imperfections, I would encourage you to memorize the serenity prayer. Any of you know it? The serenity prayer? Pastor Reinhold Niebuhr uh, uh, wrote this, uh, I think it was back in the 1930s, and AA and other groups memorized this thing. I think it's a powerful thing to remember as we think through our own imperfections, whether it's an addiction or some, something else. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You see, there are some things in our lives that we just can't change. But we need the wisdom to see and the serenity to accept the things that we can't. And the other side to this is that imperfections are opportunities for us to see other people through the lens of love. Man, this man's response to her feelings of inadequacy is a response of love and acceptance. It's interesting, when you read through this entire book in the Song of Solomon, all eight chapters, there isn't a single place that this guy brings up her dark tan. Not a, not a spot. He doesn't, he doesn't touch it. He isn't like, no, honey, it looks great. I mean, he doesn't lie. He doesn't try to, you know, try to smooth over it. He doesn't make it awkward. You know what he does? He instead just focuses on all the other things in her life that he sees as beautiful. He focuses on and he talks about those things over and over again. He even goes so far as to talk about her teeth twice. He says, your teeth are as white as sheep that are freshly washed. Not a pickup line I would recommend these days. I think somehow that one's been lost over time. But I mean, he's infatuated with how white her teeth is. And he talks about that, you know. And I also want you to notice because of how he treats her, because of how he loves her, what she says about him. She says, it's obvious how much he loves me. 
He loved her through her imperfections, through her insecurities, and helped her to look past them. And that's what love does. Love doesn't get hung up on the imperfections. doesn't try to change everyone else's imperfections. Because real love isn't limited by a person's imperfections. So when you think about the people in your life, what imperfections do you know they struggle with the most? Think about that for a moment. How can you express love to them through the imperfections and tear down some of those destructive self-messages that they have? Are there, are there people in your life where their imperfections just irritate you, just frustrate you, just annoy you, cause you to avoid them perhaps or not accept them or to not love them? How might you come to love and to express love to them through those things. Imperfections, they're things that you and I all have. None of us get away without them. They're a breeding ground in our lives for insecurity, right? Love notices the, notices the imperfections, but they're not limited by them. Love sees them as opportunities to encourage, opportunities to reinforce how God sees them. I'll close with this. Last Sunday when I got home from church, I was a little bored and I flipped on Netflix and I watched this film called 22 July. I don't know if you've ever seen this. And in this movie, it tells the story about a teenage boy named Vilhar Hansen. I guess that's how you say it. He's from Norway. And he survived a terrorist attack in Norway back about seven years ago. Any of you familiar with the story of the terrorist attack in Norway? So there was this one man who was angry at the government and the decisions that were being made. And he makes this decision to go and bomb a government building on the 22nd of July in 2011. And then as that bomb is going off, he drives a van to an island where some kids are. And he pulls out assault rifles and just starts shooting. And he manages to kill 69 kids and wound over 110 more. In a, just a period of an afternoon, this crazy guy kills or wounds 400 people. Now, Vilhar was a teenage boy at that camp, and he was shot five times by this guy. His shoulder was shredded. One of his arms was shot up so many times he's lost use of it. He, three of his fingers were shot off. He was shot in the face, and he's, lost, he's blind in one eye now. He's, so many things that he has had to deal with. He even has bullet fragments still in, around his brainstem. And when they did surgery on him, they couldn't actually remove those because they were so close to the brainstem. And they've told him that if at any point in his life he falls or he has an impact in that spot, he's liable to die instantly. Imagine being a teenage boy and getting that kind of a news. There was a Facebook post that he put on his page about, four, it was the four-year anniversary after this attack, and he said this, that everyday life should still be so challenging that the psychic scars are as active and invisible as the physical is something I learn to live with every day. And one thing I've understood is I'll never be finished. It will be with me every day, not just today, but tomorrow and the next week. Oh, there's this one powerful scene from this movie. I'll never forget it. It's the kind of the, the scene I'll never forget. 
He's just got, he's been out of the hospital for a few months. He's been so frustrated with himself and all these imperfections, physical imperfections, inability to do the things he used to do. And he was just so angry at himself that he just jumps on a snowmobile and just starts driving at top speed. And his family are freaking out, but they're trying to chase after him because they're afraid he's going to follow that one spot and he's going to die. But he just doesn't care anymore. He just, he just, at this point, he's just like, he doesn't care if he lives or dies. But through all that, the people around him figured out how to love him through his imperfections. Through the disabilities, through the scars, through the anger, through the pain. To a point that he could eventually love and accept himself. A whole country came around this teenage boy. They figured out how to love him through his imperfections. And today, he's actually pursuing a career in politics. Because he wants to help other people the way his country has helped him. Recently, he said, every day, when I manage to not opt out of something because of what has happened, then that day is a victory. And I win almost every day. That boy's life has been changed. And it's been through love. Guys, it isn't always easy to love someone through their imperfections. It isn't always easy to love ourselves through them, much less other people sometimes. And we don't always know a person's story and what makes them look or what makes them act the way they do. Can we be like the anonymous man in the Song of Solomon who chooses to get past the things he doesn't like and actively show love to the people around him despite their imperfections? I think that's what Christ calls us to do, right? Would you pray with me? God, I just uh, ask that you would Help us, even in this moment, as we think about imperfections, as we think about those shortcomings in our own lives that hang us up, as we think about the things in the lives of those who are around us and how those things hang them up. God, help us to love well. Help us, Lord, first of all, to learn how to love ourselves well, appropriately, to not beat ourselves up and tear ourselves down for those of us who struggle with that, but to see ourselves as created in the image and likeness of God. Help us to see those imperfections as marks of individuality and uniqueness and not things of shame that we should hide. God, I pray for each person in this room who struggles with insecurities, who tears themselves down. And God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would invade those dark places and shine your light and your love upon them. And God, I ask that you would help every person in this room, every one of us who are listening online, to come to understand how those around us are suffering, how we're struggling in silence. Those things that we're trying to hide, Lord, those things that we're ashamed of, that we're embarrassed by, that we wish we could change but can't. Lord, help us to love them through them, not despite them. Lord, as we think about what you have done for us on the cross, Lord, you took our shame. You took our insecurities. You took our sin. You took all these ugly things that we see in ourselves, and you took them on yourself on the cross out of love. 
And Lord, in these moments, we're reminded that we can't love others that way unless we experience that love ourselves from you. If you've never accepted Christ into your life, if you've never accepted that love that God has for you this morning, I want to encourage you to accept it today. To not run from it, to not be ashamed, but to embrace it. Because God loves you so dearly. I would encourage you to just pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart, even now. Heavenly Father, I come to you and I bow before you and I recognize that, God, you are perfect and I am not. I never will be, and, and that's okay on this side of heaven. God, I ask that you would come into my heart, that you would forgive me of my sins, those things that I can do something about, those places where I choose to reject you when I am not loving to others around me, when I'm not loving toward you. God, I ask that you would forgive me of all those things, whether I can remember them or not, and put them as far away from you as the east is from the west, as Scripture says. God, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as I confess that you are my God, my Savior, my Lord. God, I ask that you would come into my life and begin to change me. Help me to accept the things that I can't change and the wisdom and the courage to see the things that I can. In Jesus' name, amen.